0: Thank you, Pastor, uh, for the opportunity to preach. Um, kind of play that, play that message up a little bit, and there's pressure there, right? But uh, Exodus chapter number 2. Exodus chapter number 2. And then you keep your thumb there uh, to... And we'll turn over as well to Hebrews chapter number 11. So gen- I'm sorry, Exodus number 2. And then Hebrews number 11. <clears throat> Before I start, uh, we had college days... Uh, well, we're right in the middle of college days, and I'm thankful uh, that Pastor has a vision uh, not just for reaching our Jerusalem and not just reaching this generation, but also for training the next generation of ministry servants. And by the way, it's so important that we have that, um, that vision. And Pastor asked me to share just a couple minutes before I get into the message, and we'll kind of tie it together, talking about why we have a Bible college. I think every once in a while it would be good for us to identify, remind ourselves why we have different ministries that we have. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to talk about why we have education ministry, why we have follow-up ministry, why we have different ministries. Why don't we have the, Bi- uh, the Bible College? And by the way, good group, 45, 50, somewhere around there, uh, young people that registered to come check out the college today. And we had a good time, good spirit. But at its core, our Bible College is, now here's the goal, no more and no less than that each young person in our church would find and pursue God's purpose for their life. Simple as that. And it just so happens that our chosen, and by the way, the most natural method for us to train and to equip and to disciple our young people toward that end is through our Bible college. And in our church, that's how we do it. And so a couple reasons I had here uh, why we have the Bible college. Number one is to establish a solid Christian foundation foundation as an adult by the way I teach a class it's called introduction to college life class and I remind the students that from the ages of some people say 16 to 26 some people say 18 to 28 they will be making a vast majority of the, deci- the most important decisions of their life during this time frame in their life and here's the ironic part about this just how God uh, designed it they enter adulthood not equipped with the tools to soundly make those decisions. And so what we believe is if we can get them in a structured environment under the tutelage of, by the way, I, I did the math yesterday, just the teachers in our Bible college have 188 years of ministry experience just the teachers, not the office staff, 188 years of ministry experience. Man, I think they have some tools that they can help to equip our young people to make those decisions more effectively for the Lord as they seek God's will for their life. But number one is a solid Christian foundation. By the way, it's a place where they learn to balance their walk with God, paying their bills, uh, studying. And by the way, when hard things come, don't quit. Uh, I'll use the term. We got a bunch of snowflakes in this generation. And, and you know how, it, and by the way, a bunch of snowflakes in church, oh, it's hard. I'm going to quit. I'm going to throw in the towel. Get some grit in that craw and keep on keeping on. By the way, sometimes marriage is hard. Sometimes child rearing is hard. Sometimes they were talking to Brother uh, Pastor Goddard today and my wife. Terrible twos come, right? Then you've got, you, th- you think that the, the zero to eight was hard. Then they become teenagers, right? Then you've got teenage girls. Oh, my soul. And so, you, 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 but what is it? Life's hard sometimes, we don't throw in the towel. We don't quit. We keep on keeping on. Why? Because that's, that's what God's called us to do, to finish the course he's called us to finish. And there's something spiritual about just finishing and pushing through even when it's hard. And so, anyways, that's that's the first reason. Number two uh, purpose for Bible college is we are a place, Bible college is a place where we train for a lifetime of ministry. Yes, sir. You say is that just for those that are going into full-time Christian service? Absolutely not. Why? We believe that every single Christian, we say every saint a servant, right? Every Christian's a minister. Every single one of us should give ourselves to a lifetime of ministry, right? And what better place than to put them in an environment for a few years here where they can train for a lifetime of ministry. And number three is because Bible college is a place of total surrender. Total surrender. And we, we used to, and Pastor knows this, we don't do it anymore. Pastor encourages us not to. We used to say, give God a year, give God a year, give God a year, You know, we're kind of past that because those that come in with the idea of, God, you can have a year and then if you don't do anything in my heart, I'm going to go do my plans for my life. No, we're not about that. We're about saying, you know what, why don't you spend this crucial time in your life, come with an open heart, an open mind, and just a yielded, surrendered will to say, God, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. And if at the end of the first year you don't know what God wants you to do, come back a second year. And after the second year you don't know what God wants you to do, come back the third year. And if during that course of time you know for sure this is what God wants me to do, Pastor, might let you out early. All right? And so I'm just kidding there. But uh, what is it? We, we want them to come in to Bible college with an open heart and a surrendered will to do God's will. Amen. Amen. By the way, that's what God's looking for in Every Christian, is it not? A fully surrendered heart. A totally surrendered will to whatever it is that he wants us to be. God's not looking for half in and half out Christianity. God's looking for every Christian to surrender their will and their life to say, God, what do you want me to do? And by the way, if every if every Christian would do that, it's it, we'd be amazed what God can do in our church. Uh, let's go to... Exodus chapter number 10, as we think about that thought of full surrender. Exodus chapter 2, and then Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get right into it this evening. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much again for the privilege that we had to look to your word. Lord, it's eternal, it's powerful, it's alive, it instructs, it exhorts. It gets on us when we need it. And, Lord, it's sufficient for us to be able to live the lives that you want us to live. I pray that you'd instruct us through your word and by your spirit tonight. Again, Lord, give us the message and the words that you want for each of us in here, please. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not too long ago, about, uh, about Jen, maybe two years ago, I was on Atlantic Street, and my paths crossed with a certain individual that put me in contact with the FBI. And the FBI happens to be in the news a lot recently, do they not? And uh, uh, through that contact, uh, I, I got a call, Brother Vong, on my cell phone from the FBI. They wanted to have coffee with me. It's an interesting thought. And so I agreed to go to coffee, bean here on Atlantic, and I sat down and uh, I, I went in, and first I bought my own coffee. As I mentioned before, I was not going to have them buy coffee and get me on bribery charges. Absolutely not, if you know how they work sometimes. But uh, I walked in, I sat down, and, and sure enough, two agents walked through the door. They walk in, and uh, they, they, they just got themselves waters. And we sat down at the table, and, and we had a conversation. Through the course of the conversation there, they, they took out their badges. They slipped their cards across to show that they were, in fact, FBI agents and they, we had a conversation, and I was amazed. They pulled out pictures, and they said, do you recognize this hat? And they pulled out a picture of an individual and said, do you recognize this individual? They asked me, Brother Ken, pictures, I'm sorry, they asked me questions with the pictures that they had where I thought, man, you cannot get away from these guys. How do they know this stuff? How do they go that quickly and get that type of surveillance? But what struck me is that if I didn't know they were FBI agents, no one would know they were FBI agents. They would have slipped in looking like maybe tax prep guys, business guys. They were able to blend in with anybody else. I remember a guy uh, not too long ago... Actually, it was a while ago at our church, and my dad told me, my dad said, this guy does covert work, undercover work overseas. He said, every time he gets back, he'll be gone for a couple months, and you look at him, my dad would ask him and say, what do you do for work? And he'd look at my dad, and he'd say, "Where'd where'd you come back from, Singapore, Malaysia, Middle East? And he'd say, what'd you do for work? And he'd just smile, kind of shake his head. All right, we know what that means. Now, here's the ironic thing. If I were to put 20 people up on this platform and I were to give you five chances to try to get it right for $100, not one single one of us would get it right. They picked the right guy for the job. That guy could blend in. You know the type of guy just kind of happy-go-lucky, maybe a little pudgy, kind of has that smile like he doesn't know what's going on. Oh, he knew what was going on all right. But it's intriguing to us. Why do agents intrigue us? How agents, secret agents if you would, can blend in with the civilian population while all the time carrying on a second identity right there among us. But there's another level of work, of agent work, if you would, and that's the work of a double agent. There's a man by the name of Eddie Chapman around the time of World War II. Eddie Chapman was a con. Now, he was an explosives expert, but he used his... His skills, not for right, but as a con man, he would also go and break in, pick locks at nighttime, and he got caught red-handed breaking into, I believe it was a jewelry shop, one night. They caught him, and they put him in jail on the Channel Islands. Now, if you know anything about the war, World War II had broken out, and the only place that the Germans had captured was the Channel Islands. The Germans came, and they went into the prisons there, and they were looking for anybody useful, kind of like the Russians and Wagner do today to fight in Ukraine, but that's a different story. And so they went in there, and they were looking for anybody useful, and they came across Eddie Chapman. They said, hey, would you... Or he he said, I have some skills. And and through the conversation, they said, would you use your skills to go back, get out of jail free card, to go back and work for us against the Brits? And Turncoat said, yes, I will. So they came up with a plan. They said, you know, there's a factory that's helping fund or helping support the war and we want you to go in incognito we want to drop you and we want you to blow up that factory unbeknownst to him on the other side the british knew exactly what was happening the british went and they laid wait because they knew when he would be dropped and they knew what he had planned to do and so when he he got on the uh, he went he got dropped he was there on the ground and the british met him there and they said we know what you're here for and they arrested him he said no 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 oh, no, no i'm not, i'm british you know, you know where my true allegiance lies? You know what I can do? I can go back and I can do double work for you. And so they said, okay, here's a the plan. They, they bought it. They believed him. And so they, they came up with a plan. Let's, sab- let's fake sabotage this factory. They did such a, good idea, such a good job with sabotaging the factory that even the people that worked at the factory thought it was blown up. So he went back to work for the Germans, Uh, they sent him back to the Germans, and by the end of the war, he got a medal from both Germany, the Red Cross from Hitler, and he got the Silver Star from Britain. Can you imagine, after the war, him going into his bedroom and saying, wow, look at what, he was a hero for the Nazis and a hero for the Allies all at the same time. Talk about a double agent. But then I heard a story of a triple agent. When we went into Afghanistan, a little bit bit after that, there was a young man by the name of Dr. Khalil al-Balawi, and he was in Turkey studying to be a doctor. But while he was in Turkey, they came to find out that he was actually a terrorist extremist, and so they captured him. The Turkish government took him and gave him to the CIA. The CIA had a program at that time, so he's a Turkish terrorist, right? Right? And so a terrorist there, they have him, they hand him over to the CIA, and the CIA is looking for people that they can use as double agents. And so they, they, they strike a deal with him. They said, hey, if you can infiltrate Al-Qaeda for us in Afghanistan, then, hey, we can work together here, and you can work as our agent. We'll pay you. We'll take care of you. And he said, okay, sure. So you've got this Turkish terrorist working for the CIA to infiltrate Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. If that doesn't turn your head. And so he did. And so he would go back and forth between, the, between Al-Qaeda and the CIA. He would feed just enough information to keep both happy. But eventually, it came out. He was with Al-Qaeda, and Al-Qaeda said, we know what you're doing, we know what's going on. Choose where your allegiance lies. And he said, well, I'm my allegiance lies with my Muslim brothers. They said, okay, you know what you have to do. He called the CIA office one time and he set up a meeting. He said, I have some very important intelligence that I need to get to you. And so he, he told them he wanted to meet and he strapped a bunch of explosives to himself. He timed it so that he was late, so that he could rush into the meeting. And so when he got there, they didn't check him. They didn't go through the proper security protocols. He ran inside and he blew himself up. It was, to that point, or at least in the last 25 years, the most deadly killing attack on the CIA in a long time. He was a triple agent. Double and triple agents have become masters at playing both sides. But there eventually comes a situation, a reality, where their allegiance is put to the test, and they must choose whose side they're really on. In Exodus chapter 2, this is where we find Moses. He's in a similar situation. You say, how? In this chapter, Moses is a prince, but he's also a Hebrew. He hangs out and he lives with taskmasters, but he identifies with slaves. He eats with celebrities, but he knows he's called to serve. He fears the Lord God, but he's also concerned with what Pharaoh thinks. He serves Jehovah, but he also serves the king of Egypt. He calls God's people brethren, but he still talks like an Egyptian. He walks among God's people by day, but he goes back to the palace at night. Excuse me. He lives the royal life, but in his heart he longs to make a difference for the Lord. And to this point in his life that we're about to read, it worked out for him to play on both sides. To this point, he could be mediocre. To this point, it was okay for him to be half in and half out. But a situation is about to arise in his life where he realizes that he can no longer please both sides. And this is where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 2. And let's turn there this evening in the brief time that we have. Exodus chapter 2, verses 10 to 15, it says, And the child Moses grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses, she said, because I drew him out of the water. And it came to pass in those days. You say what days? The days that we just talked about. The days where he's an Egyptian, but he's one of God's children. Where he looks like the world on the outside, but he identifies with God's people on the inside. In these days, look here when Moses was grown, that he went out to his what's the next word there? Oh, talk to me. What is it? He went out to his brethren. Now when he looked at them, when he looked at a Hebrew with scars on their back and open wounds and building the brick and martyr and maybe building the pyramids. When he looked at them, he saw himself. He saw a Hebrew. He saw a brother. But on the outside, he was an Egyptian. How do we know that? Because when he ran away from Pharaoh and he went to the Midianites, those girls that he saved from those guys went back and said, Daddy, an Egyptian saved me, right? So he identifies with his brothers there, but he still looks like an Egyptian. And as he looked on their burdens and he looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his, what's the next word? One of his what? His brethren. And he he looked, and by the way, I think the the Lord uses the word spied. It doesn't say he happened upon like the scripture says. It doesn't say he looked, it says he spied. An Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, and I don't know if maybe he was between uh, the the limestone pillars, maybe he was looking out from a pyramid, maybe he was between the the, the gods, maybe he was behind the statue of Ramses, I don't know where he was, but he looked outside and he spied and he saw uh, an Egyptian smiting one of his brethren, he looked this way and that way, and when he saw there was no man, or so he thought incognito under the radar he slew the Egyptian I don't know if he learned hey, the Bible says he was trained in all the ways of Egypt I don't know if he, he knew MMA or the uh, ancient deadly lethal uh, uh, martial arts of the Egyptians but he slew him those guys were big guys he took care of him and he buried him and he thought all was good and when he went out the second day here it is goes to sleep that night in the palace comes to see his brethren during the day he came out the second day and in his mind it's all good Maybe I can be a taskmaster slayer by day and I can be with God's people. No, I can be a Hebrew by night, right? And he says, it's all good. At this point, he's still playing both sides. Let's look here. But let's, let's look here. Let me not get ahead of myself. When he went out the second day, still a double-sided man, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? Uh Uh-oh. And Moses feared and said, and here it is, he said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. You see, in this passage, Moses was confronted with the reality that he could not effectively serve Egypt and do God's will. He realized that now he must make a choice of who he would serve with his life. For those of us that have served God any length of time, we've all had to come to a place, and by the way, we realized that we could never live the life that God wanted us to live if we lived our life down the middle. We could never live the life that God wants us to live if we are half in and half out. We cannot live the life that God's called us to live if we are double-minded regarding God's will. And we had to choose to live the fully surrendered Christian life. Maybe it was under a preaching co- a service. Maybe it was at a youth conference for some of us. Maybe it was when we were put in a situation at work where we knew we had to choose. Maybe it was when someone came up and enticed us with something, but we knew that the choice had now come where we could no longer play both sides, but we had to choose this day whom we would serve. Maybe it was just an uh, inner wrestling where the flesh and the world pulled, but we knew we wanted to make a difference for God. We knew that the Christian life was not lived to be lived uh, meant to be lived half baked half in or half out and we had to make a choice to serve only one master Pastor if I remember correctly you were 15 when you got saved 17 15 years old when pastor got saved and for 2 years for 2 years he was half in and half out For two years, he struggled with full surrender. For two years, he he was deciding, am I going to serve God or am I going to go back to the world? He might have had the Holy Spirit on the inside, but he was, to an extent, living like the world on the outside. But two years after he got saved, pastor, and thank God he did, made the choice, I will no longer play games. I will no longer serve Egypt. I will no longer live for Pharaoh. I'm going to serve God 100%. And he's doing what he's doing for our church today. Why? Because there was a time in his life where he said, I'm done. I'm done playing the middle of the road. I'm done straddling the fence. I'm going to serve God 100%. No more playing games. Pastor Goddard was here today. He talked to our students about the scholarship he got, the, the scholarships. He said he had a stack of scholarships that thick. He had just gotten saved, he had a girlfriend, he had a free ride to college, but God got a hold of his heart, and one time in his life he said, you know, I have a choice, I can play the world game all while acting like a Christian or vice versa, but he said, you know what, there comes a point in your life where you've got to choose to surrender to do God's will, and God's will alone with your life. To each of God's people tonight, if we are going to live the life that God wants us to live, there must come a time in our life when we stop playing games, we stop messing around, we stop living a double life, and we do God's will 100%. I'm certain that there are people wrestling here even tonight with, inner th- with things inside your life. And when you hear the preaching, you know there's a decision you need to make. And when you hear the preaching, you know there's something that you need to give up. And when you hear the preaching, you know there's something you've got to start doing. But you're struggling with, with selling out 100%. Let's look to Exodus chapter 2 again. For sake of time, I'm going to move a little quickly here. The only way the Christian life was made to be lived was a life of full surrender. But surrender is not just something that we do at the altar. Surrender is not just a fuzzy feeling when we say, I surrender all, and we sing the song. When we surrender, there are concrete steps that we must take that lead us from the choice that we make to that surrender that gets us to where God wants us to be. That's what I want to look at tonight. What was it that Moses did after he surrendered that brought him to the amazing life that we know of, the great man Moses? Here it is, number one, number one, and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Moses made a choice. Moses made a choice to walk away from some things. To walk away from some things. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Look here in verse number 27. By faith, that's Hebrews eleven twenty-seven. 27. He forsook Egypt. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. If we are going to be all in and pursue God's will for our lives and live a life of surrender, first of all, there may be some things that we need to walk away from. We see here, number one, Moses walked away from the sin that was in Egypt. If I know how the devil works, and I do because I'm flesh. And if I know how human flesh is because I have it, I do. And if I know how uh, red-blooded people work because I am one, I know that there may be some sin in this room tonight that some may be struggling with. Maybe you've allowed it to creep in the door. Maybe it's there already. Maybe you're actively engaging in it. Maybe you're considering it. If you are going to live the life that God wants you to live, you're going to have to walk away from some things. You're going to have to walk away from the sin of Egypt. You might be here at a church service, but there's a screen. You might be here and call us brethren, but there's some music. You're here for some preaching, but there's a relationship. You want to live for that which is eternal, but there's a job. You want to lay up treasures in heaven, but you're caught up with the things of this world. You want to go forward with God's plan for your life, but you're hanging on to the past life. There's a desire to surrender all, but there's a pull to hang on when you know you shouldn't hang on. You know what's not right? but you have yet to run away. You know, it's not, you know it's sinful, but you go back to it time and time and time and time again. Maybe you didn't welcome it with open arms, but you left the door open and it creeped its way in. And, and I want to say this tonight, and I want to plead with you. If there's sin in your life, if there's sin in your family, if there's some unconfessed thing, walk away from it so you can do God's will for your life. And I want to challenge us tonight. Don't click on it. Run from it. Don't like it on social media. Run from it. Don't say it. Don't talk about it. Don't entertain it. Run away from it. By the way, don't listen to it on your ear pods. Run away from it. Don't meditate on it any longer. Walk away from it. Don't DM it when you know you shouldn't be DMing it. Walk away from it. Don't Snapchat it. Walk away from it. Don't TikTok it. Walk away from it. Don't entertain it in your heart any longer. Walk away from it. Don't play it on your console. Walk away from it. Don't hang out with it or them. Walk away from it. Don't tie your heart any deeper. Don't allow your emotions to be wrapped anymore or as the Bible says don't allow the cords of sins to wrap themselves around you anymore. Walk away from it so you can do God's will for your life. Amen. Why? Because you cannot keep sin in your life and walk out of Egypt. Sin will invariably pull you right back into Egypt's bondage and to serve Pharaoh. And we know as Numbers thirty-two twenty-three says be sure that your sin will find you out. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's materialism, which, by the way, is a big one. Maybe it's moral impurity. I don't know what it is in your life, but I want to challenge you. If there's something there, walk away from it tonight and leave Egypt. Uh, I remember an illustration that we heard growing up. Brother Ross would tell us this illustration about a youth pastor that was just cleaning up on the grounds, doing what he was supposed to do, and he happened upon a piece of paper that was crumpled up, and he didn't know what it was. He opened it up, and it happened to be some illicit material. He had a choice. By the way, Satan's slick. He's a dirty, rotten trick, but he's slick. He knows what your weakness is, and he knows what my weakness is. And he knows how to throw it right there in front of us. He put that there, and at that point, that youth pastor had an opportunity to walk away and say, Lord, please cleanse my eyes, cleanse my heart, please help me to not dwell on what I just saw. But instead, he crumpled it back up, he put it in his pocket, he went in secret, and he dwelt on it. He fast forward, he lost his family, he lost his ministry, he ruined his life, and he lost God's will for his life. You say, why? Because when he had a choice to walk away from the sin of Egypt, he took it with him, and it ruined his life. And I want to challenge you, if you're going to do God's will for your life, you must identify the sins. And by the way, we all have the besetting sins, do we not? We all have the things where Satan knows how to get us. And if we are going to live the surrendered and, by the way, the abundant Christian life, we're going to have to identify what those are and leave them in Egypt and walk away. Number two, number two. Not only did he walk away from the sin of Egypt, he walked away from his identity with Egypt. You know, the, the Bible says there, and we just read it, verse 27, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That was actually kind of a big deal. Why? Because there was some status associated with that, was there not? There was some prestige with that. You walk by, you walk down by the pyramids, you walk down the road, you're somebody. Oh, there's a prince of Egypt right there. Wow, he lives at Pharaoh's house. Wow, he's part of the royal family. He He grew up surrounded by that culture that had afforded him many benefits by identifying as an Egyptian. There was wealth, there was popularity, there was finances, there was security, there were benefits. But Moses realized that he could not do and make the difference that God wanted him to make unless he made the choice to shed his worldly identity. Many times some of our best people are Christians who love God on the inside. But because of where we live and because of the culture around us, we've allowed the culture to clothe us with a worldly identity and with worldly pursuits. And can I say this? As long as we have a worldly identity and worldly pursuits, we will never fully leave Egypt behind to be able to do what God wants us to do and make the difference that he wants us to make. What does Romans twelve two say? It says, "Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God." And can I ask you, where do you get your identity from? What makes you click? What makes you look in the mirror and say, "Yeah, that's what I'm looking for"? What is it? The way you talk. By the way, if I can park here for a minute, let me talk to the teenagers. The way you talk. Let, let me say that again. Okay? I've purposely tried. The, the way you talk. The way you talk. The way you talk. It's Thursday night. We do a little family time, right? The way you talk. Where do where, where you get that from? Is that something you would say if Jesus Christ was standing there in a room with you? And by the way, which leads me to my next point, don't get your identity from social media. Don't get it from YouTube influencers. Don't get it from TikTok. Don't get it from television. Don't get it from political pundits. And let me say it again, don't get it from political pundits or the politicians themselves. Don't get it from Hollywood. Don't get it from radio personalities. And let me say this, and all ladies be mad at me. No, not all the ladies be mad at me. Don't get it from Korean dramas. Don't get it from Spanish novellas. Don't get it from Khmer love movies. And definitely don't get it from American reality TV stars. Don't get it from there, but let's find our identity in God and His will for our lives. Let's find our identity with God's people, from God's word, in God's work, and doing God's will. Amen. This world, desperately, by the way, this world has been sold a bill of goods and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And let me tell you, these trans people that five years from now, they're eight years old, and they'll be, I-, I saw a whole group of them, Pastor, today. Eight year old boys dressed in the entire drag like adult ladies. There's a whole group of people in this culture that five and ten years from now, they're going to wake up and they're going to say, I changed my identity and I'm not fulfilled. I sought after uh, this and, I'm not, and I have no purpose. And they're going to realize that they've been sold a bill of goods and they're going to be looking for something different. But here's the problem so oftentimes. We as God's people, we go out there and we pursue the same things that they're pursuing. And so, when they are looking for something different, they say, You know what? They want the same things that I have. Why would I want what they have? Let us not seek our identity in the things that this world says is important, but in God's work, God's people, from God's word, and doing God's will for our lives. Moses knew that if he was going to leave Egypt, he had to shed his worldly identity. What are you living for today? Who are you seeking to be? How and why? I love basketball, but that's not my passion. I love my—I don't love. I like my modern sporting rifles. I love to build them, but that's not where I get my firepower. I like nice clothes, but I don't find my value in them. I like a reliable car, bless God, but it's not my purpose. That's not where I get my status. I like my house. But that's not my purpose for living. My identity by God's grace will be found by, in God's word with God's people doing God's work according to God's will. If I'm going to make the difference that God wants me to make, and we've heard it so often before, if you're going to make a difference, what is it? You've got to be a little different. And I want to challenge God's people today. Let's not live our lives for the things that they live their lives for, but let's live our lives for eternity and doing God's will God's way. Number one, he walked away from the sin of Egypt. Number two, he walked away from a worldly identity. Let me challenge us. Let's walk away from the worldly talk, the worldly culture, the worldly pursuits. And by the way, the worldly pursuits, how's it working out for Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Johnny Depp, and a host of others? ain't working out so well. Why? Because it's not done God's way. Let's walk away from the outward appearance that is a reflection of an inner pursuit and identity with the world. We need a generation of Christians who look different, who talk different, who live different, and who are different on the inside and, by the way, on the outside. Amen. Skip an illustration here. Number two. Number one, if we're going to leave Egypt or if we're going to seek God's will, we've got to walk away from some things. He walked away from the sin. He walked away from the worldly identity. Number two. Number two, Moses didn't just walk away from some things. Bless God, he walked towards some things. And by the way, separation is not just I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. No, 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 no. I'm not just walking away from some things. I'm running towards some things. And that's the Christian life. I don't just leave the devil's uh, the, the devil's world. I run towards God's. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter three, verse four. We'll look here, make a couple comments. We'll be done. Exodus chapter three, verse four. And when he saw, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. Remember, Moses ran away from Egypt. He finds himself in the backside of the wilderness. In the next chapter, this is what we find. God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look on God. upon God. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. i am come down to deliver them. If you'll skip down there a little bit, he says, I've seen the oppression, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people from the children of Israel out of Egypt. My, my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. You see, the first thing that Moses ran after was the voice of God. You know, when he first left Egypt, he didn't know where he was going. But he knew it was away from Egypt. He didn't know where he was going, but he couldn't get away fast enough from that junk. I think of Pastor Myers and Pastor Esposito. Often they would talk to us about, Brother Castle, you talked about it before. When I left that worldly scene, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. I didn't know exactly where I was going, but I knew I was away from there. That's where Moses is right here. He left the world. He left Pharaoh. He left his identity. He left the sin. He left that lifestyle. And he says, now where am I going? So often. It's not until we make the choice to leave the world that God shows up and God starts speaking. And what's the next thing we do is we start listening for the voice of God. And that's what he did here. Skip some stuff here. It's okay. Let me just ask simply, are we listening for God's voice? How much of a priority is this in our life? If, and I don't want to meddle, but if, 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 I can, if I can check, and sometimes we have to do it, I get it, but if I can check stocks and I can check my sports team and I can st- check social media for, 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 for minutes and hours on end each day and I can watch television and I can sur- uh, surf YouTube and I can watch TikTok and I can watch Instagram, but I can't spend 15, 20 minutes in this book, I'm never going to hear God's voice. I want to challenge us today. You know, if we are going to live the life that God wants us to live, we're going to have to be people of the book. We're going to have to be running towards God's voice. And I want to ask us today, how much of a priority is hearing from God in our lives today? I remember, by the way, if we got nothing else from the sermon, but we got a renewed desire to hear from God, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. I remember, uh, I, I got permission a while back to share this. Uh, my brother Dan, when he was a teenager, uh, he got in a little bit of trouble. A little bit. Okay? Because I thought brother Dan was perfect. Yeah, right. Um, Got a little bit of trouble, and my dad was very wise. My dad, very strategically, you know, Pastor, my dad's a master. You could walk in feeling like two cents, and you walk out feeling like a million bucks. He just had that uncanny ability to do that. Uh, everybody thought they were his fate. You know how he ended a whole nine yards, right? And so uh, he, he cast some vision to, my, to, to Dan, and, and he said, you know, he said if you, he gave him some verses, and he gave him some scripture, and he tried to help him to find an identity around Baptist history and around the word of God. I remember, Dan, for a long time, a long time. I would get up early because I was in college, had a busy schedule, so I would come here to the church, the old building, every single morning during college, 5.30, 5.30, 5.30, for a long time. And Dan started getting up. He said, hey, can I go with you at 5.30 in the morning? And Dan would come with me, Pastor, as a 7th, 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, 5.30 every single morning, just to come read his Bible and pray. He said, you know, I want to try to read my Bible in a month, read his Bible in a month said, I want to try to read my Bible seven times this year. Read his Bible seven times in a year. And I can go on and on and on. And I don't want to make his head any bigger than it needs to be. Um, But, you know, not too many people that I know in in Brother Dan's age are, are probably seeing as many people saved, maybe as many people come to church, discipling as many people. You say, why? Because... At a certain point in his life, he said, I'm going to walk away from a couple. They nothing crazy or immoral or anything, just just, just some some things. He said, you know, I'm going to walk away from these things, and I'm going to make this book a priority in my life. I've heard stories from my dad's roommates where they would come in in Bible college, and he was getting three and four and five hours a night of sleep, going to college, working long days, hitchhiking to work in the bitter cold of of Indiana. And, And they would come, and they'd find him on his knees because he fell asleep praying. You say, what was he trying to do? I think the reason my dad made a difference that he made, I think we can all agree that he did, is because he had a heart to hear God's voice. Let's have a heart to hear God's voice. Number two. Number two. He didn't just pursue God's voice. He pursued God's will for his life. Closing in about three minutes here. See, Moses had a choice. He enjoyed the life of a prince. Anyone would. But God wanted him to be a preacher. History could have known him as a mummy. But he also wanted to be a man of God. Would he hang with celebrities? Or would he be a servant of God? Would he live for temporal pleasures? Or eternal treasures? Let me talk to the young people for a minute. There's no greater thing that you can pursue this side of eternity than God's will for your life. And by the way, that's for every single one of us. I, I think that there's a prevailing culture. You know, you can talk to preachers. You can talk to Brother Treber. You can talk to Pastor. You can talk to the biggest, uh, the, the, the preachers that you all know, and they're saying, we have a, Brother Gary, we've talked about this before. There's a dearth. There is a dearth of young men and young ladies going into the ministry. Amen. There is a dearth of young people saying, God, I'll do your will for, your, for, for my life. Why? Because, because maybe if they become a preacher, they might not have that nice car. Maybe they won't be able to buy a house. Maybe they'll have to identify with the people in Hebrews chapter 11 that dwelt in dens and caves of the earth. Oh no, we don't have to do that here. Maybe they might not have all the luxuries, but is God's will worth it? And by the way, can I say this? Brother Ross, we talked about this many times before. I'll ask any of our staff members. By the way, God has not shortchanged us one bit. We are taken care of. We are blessed. We are fulfilled. We have purpose. And we love living for God. There is no life that you will live that's more fulfilling, that's more purposeful, that's more joyful, that's better than doing God's will for your life. Moses decided to leave the life of a prince to go live the life of a servant. And I bet you that many people's eternities are glad that he did because it was God's will for his life, not his own. Number one, he pursued God's voice. Number next, he pursued God's will. And finally, he pursued God's reward. You know, there's a reward for leaving sin. There's a reward for leaving Egypt. There's a reward for leaving it behind. There's a reward for saying no. There's a reward for cutting it off. There's a reward for walking away. There's a reward for saying, I will no longer serve you, Egypt. I will no longer serve you, Pharaoh. God, I'm all yours. Use me however you want me to be used. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, for Jeremy, if I can get this, I do want to play a quick clip, and I'll let you go. I know I'm about two, three minutes over. It's okay. Actually, can you play that first? Go ahead. There's a great reward
1: for loving God. First Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And see, when we put our lives in God's hands, total commitment, loving him with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, everything, our strength, Then let him take care of the rest. You see, Jesus wrecked my life, but I love Jesus. And the fact that I love Jesus was beginning to interfere with the plans I once had for my life. You really love Jesus. God doesn't take things away. He just makes the plans go his way. Jesus called his followers to be a lot of things, but I have yet to find where he warned us to be safe. We're not called to be safe. We are simply promised that when we are in danger, God is right with us, and there's no better place than in his
0: hand. He started that by saying, there's a great reward for loving God. If you knew my dad's life verse, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 was one of them. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. There's a reward when we are willing to walk away from Egypt and to pursue with a life and a heart and a mind that's fully surrendered. To say, God, what do you want me to do? And by the way, sometimes God calls us to do hard things, and that's okay. But can we only imagine the potential and the impact if every one of us in this room tonight would say, Lord... We to leave Egypt. Stop being half in and half out. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to, to thee. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I think we turn Long Beach upside down. Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray.